Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. You know, now that we're in December, December is a, a great time because it means that the holidays are coming. The holidays are coming. And for many of us, that means that we're going to be getting together with family. Now, what I've found is that in every family, there is always that one person that maybe you dread having over for dinner. You dread being around them, you know? So maybe, maybe it's the uncle whose jokes are a little off color and makes everyone uncomfortable, right? Or maybe you have a, an aunt who's a close talker, you know, they grab your elbow and they pull you in really close and maybe they spit a little bit too. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Or, or maybe it's that person that, you know, yeah, just an aunt. Edith, I don't have an Aunt Edith, hopefully you don't either, I'm not talking about your Aunt Edith, if I am, unless this describes her, in which case, I'm sorry, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's just a little bit of a stink that comes off of her, and by a little bit, I mean like when she walks in the room, you're like, oh, there's Aunt Edith, you know, it's that, that old perfume from a hundred years ago, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but everyone has that awkward family member at their family gatherings, now, they're in this room or online right now, somebody may be thinking, I can't think of anybody who's the awkward family member. I hate to break it to you, but if you can't think of who the awkward family member is, it's probably actually you. And and that's okay. We still love you, but it just might be that that everybody's like, oh no, they're coming over. You know, it's it's all right though, because they're still going to accept you. Family accepts family. Fact of the matter is family's messy, right? Uh, You don't really get to choose your family. So that can make it pretty messy. Uh, sometimes, you know, you marry into a messy family and, and that's all right too because, you know, you, you love your spouse and, and it's all good. But a lot of us, when it comes to our family, we try to hide those certain people from the world, right? It's just like, yeah, I, I don't want you to meet that person because you're going to think less of me. Like, I just don't want to be associated with them. I don't want the embarrassment of them. We, we just, we push them away, right? But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. God inspired this book to be written, this Bible, right? And, and all through it, we read these stories about people who make a lot of mistakes, these really messy characters. And what we see is, you know, normally this time of year, We talk a lot about, oh, it's the sweet baby Jesus who didn't make any crying. He's so nice and all of that. And he's in this manger and it's all good. And it's just this happy-go-lucky time that none of us can relate to. You know, like if you've ever had a kid, you're like, that wasn't my kid. I don't get why we're singing about this really peaceful one. Now, Jesus is is obviously, he's the reason for Christmas. What he did for us is huge. But I think that it warrants looking at his family sometime because he doesn't shy away from it. In fact, Matthew, who wrote one of the books of the Bible we call a gospel, it's it's a narrative about Jesus's life. He decided that he would start his book about Jesus's life with a genealogy. Now, I don't know if you've read any books or watched any movies lately, but you usually don't start with what could possibly be the most boring part of anything that you've read at the beginning of the book, right? 
Like, you don't open up a, a, a novel and start off with a genealogy of the characters so you can get to know them. But here, Matthew starts with a genealogy telling us about the people in Jesus' family. Now, this wouldn't be such a big deal either, except for the fact that most of these people in this genealogy, we can go back to the first part of the Bible and we can actually read about their lives. And, and I know when I read about some of these people's lives, I go, wow, God, why did you leave that in there? Like, seriously, hide this guy. Just, just don't even mention them. In fact, what's interesting is Matthew mentions a number of people in his genealogy that tradition at that time, you know, what, what, the way that people would write genealogies wouldn't have been expected at all. See, I hate to break it to you guys, or you girls actually, but Jesus grew up in a very androcentric culture. That meant it, it, it was centered around men more than women. And so when you'd read a genealogy, the genealogy would be this guy gave, you know, had this guy who get, had this guy who had this guy, and there wouldn't really be any woman in the genealogy. But what we see with Matthew is he actually pulls in some women into his genealogy. And, and in weeks three and four, we're actually going to talk about a couple of these women who you're like, that's great. Inclusiveness. I love this, but why these ones? It doesn't make any sense. And so we're going to see that. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks here is, is that God has used this mess that is Jesus's family to pave the way to the Messiah or the, the savior of the world, Jesus. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here now that you know what we're going to be talking about for the next little bit. How many of you know how to back float? like in a, in a swimming pool. Some of you are going to drown. Um, <laughs> I, I remember learning to back float. And I don't know if any of you had the same back float learning experience that I did. I know that my son had this same experience as I did. But see, basically what happened is my dad and I went to the pool and my dad was like, okay, I'm going to hold you here and you just need to lay back and relax in the water that I've spent the last five or six years warning you will cause you to drown if you go and drop into it. You have the same experience, right? Like your entire life, don't go near the water, you're going to drown. Okay, now I want you to lay back into the water. But anyway, so he's holding me up, and he's like, just relax. Yeah, sure. Just relax. Just trust me. So, so you finally start to relax, right? You finally start to trust him. It's like, I'm floating. This is amazing. And then the worst thing in the world happens. You feel that hand on your back move away. <laughs> now, you have two options when that happens. The first option is to say, it's all good. I'm floating. I trust that my dad knows what he's doing. And if you do that, guess what happens? You will remain on the surface of the water. Then there is the second option, which is the option that I often chose. And that option is to say, oh my goodness, what is going on right now? I need to sit up. Now, I don't know if you have any experience with floating on the water. Some of you said that you did. Maybe one or two of you lied just to join the group and said that you do. But what happens is, is when you go to sit up, when you're laying flat on the water, you go like this, bloop. It's, it's what happens. You go from laying on the surface of the water to being under the water. It's not a fun experience. And many of us in our faith in Jesus, we have experienced this floundering faith. And instead of staying up on the surface and going, okay, God knows what he's doing, we panic, we try to take things into our own hands, and what do we do? Bloop. That's what we do. 
Or maybe it is. Maybe you're online or you're here today and you're seeking, you're trying to figure things out. There's something missing in your life. You want something more and you've been thinking Jesus might just be it. But you're not 100% sure, right? So you're just kind of holding off for now. And, and I think that's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But there may come a point where you realize that you just have to actually go, you know what? I think I can trust this guy. I think I can trust Jesus. And you just have to go into it and trust that he's got you. One of the first people in Matthew's gospel that he talks about is Abraham. Now, Abraham, if you grew up in Sunday school, he's the same Abraham we know as Father Abraham who had many sons. That's a lie. He did not have many sons. In fact, the whole story of Abraham is the fact he doesn't have a lot of sons, but he has lots of descendants. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is Abraham. He's an important figure for the Jewish people because he's kind of their, their first patriarch, the first guy from whom they all came. He's also a prophet because by definition, a prophet is someone who hears from God, hears the voice of God. So, so here's this prophet, here's this important guy, and we meet with him in the first book of the Bible, the, bu- the book of Genesis, and this is what we see in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, later on he becomes known as Abraham, right now he's known as Abram. I'm sorry, it's confusing, you're just going to have to keep up. Uh, he says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, can you imagine a promise like this? Like what a promise. I'm gonna bless you and if anybody is mean to you, I'm gonna curse them and through you, everyone in the world is going to receive a blessing. That would make me feel pretty special, right? I know I've had conversations with people, and I've felt this way before, where in order to take that step of faith, you know, maybe it's that step of faith into following Jesus or that step of faith into what you feel like he might be leading you into, you want to hear from God. You're like, you know, if God would just appear to me and speak to me, I would feel A-OK. I'd just dive right into this thing. But what I've found and what scripture actually says is it rarely works that way for long. You know, God appears to someone, they're like, cool, I can do this. And then he's gone and they're like, huh, I don't think I can do this. And and we see that with Abraham. And in fact, Abraham leaves his home with this promise. He's obedient to God. And then he comes to Egypt. And when he comes to Egypt, this is what we see in Genesis chapter 12. He says, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, You're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him so we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. And then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, and so on and so forth. So essentially what happens is this guy that is promised that he's going to turn into a nation and the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of him and all these things. Those that curse you are going to be cursed. He's like, hey, you're pretty, pretty. And 
I, I think that might endanger me. So if you don't mind just pretending that you're my sister, and if anybody wants to, you know, marry you or go out with you, you just go ahead. Because it's better for me. And, and then he's like, oh, you want to give me all these gifts because of my sister? Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, you take her and I'll take your sheep. Like, seriously. I, I, I know I, for one, would be in a lot of trouble from my wife if I was like, you know, hon, you're, you're really beautiful and I'm really worried that somebody might try to take you from me and that that might cause me harm. So instead, why don't you just go with them? But that's what, that's what he does. That's what he does. See, what, what he did is, is he chose fear over trust. And I don't know if you've noticed this in life, but whenever we choose fearfulness over trusting God, other people get trampled on. And so here's Abram, and he's just heard from God. He's, he's living obediently to God, and then he chooses fear over trust, and he tramples on his wife. Not only does he trample on his wife, but we're told here that then Pharaoh and his household actually start to get really sick because God is cursing these people because they have cursed Abram by taking his wife. And, and they're like, what's going on? And they figure things out. They're like, dude, what are you doing to us? That's, that's your wife? What's your problem? Like they don't even believe in God. And they're going, you're messed up, man. Absolute lack of respect for his wife, but somehow things all turn out okay. She sticks with them. I don't get that, but hey, she sticks with them. And then later on, God comes and he reaffirms what he'd said. He says, it says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid for I will protect you. He had to spell it out this time, right? Like, it's not just that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. It's a-okay, all right? I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great. Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? What a way to talk to God as he's talking to you. Like, pff, what good is that, God? Anyways, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. Now, you'd think at this point, you're going to have a son, Abraham. I'm going to protect you, Abraham. You would think that now Abraham would be like, things are good to go. Instead, what we see in the very next chapter is that Sarah, his wife, still isn't able to have kids. So she's like, you know what? I got my servant Hagar over here. Why don't you go sleep with her? And if she has any kids, we'll just count them as my kid. That sounds really weird to us. It is weird, just in case you're wondering. But in this culture, that's something that they did. And so that's what he did. And it backfired a little bit. We see in Genesis 16. So Abram had relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So yet again, fear over trust. 
And what does it do? It tramples on the lowest amongst us. Now it's not Sarai that's being trampled on, but it's Sarai's servant that's being trampled on. Because instead of holding on to the promises of God, instead of having that faith, they're like, we're just going to take this into our own hands. We're, we're going to make God's promises come true by, by doing things our own way. And so God steps in again and clarifies things again. God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, for now her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Listen to what Abraham does. He laughed to himself in disbelief. How can I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? You're talking to God, man. Anyway, so Abraham looks at God and, and he says, well, how about Ishmael, my son from Hagar? May he live under your special blessing. Like it can't happen with me and Sarah, God. We've been over this. We spent the last like 70 years of our lives trying to make this happen, wink, wink, and it hasn't. God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. We're going to skip down to the end here. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. Abraham can't believe that his, him in his old age and his wife in her old age could possibly see this Fulfilled. Now, I want to address something here. 100 years old and 90 years old is pretty old. And by pretty old, I'm just being respectful to people that, that may or may not be near that. It's, it's really old if you're talking about having kids, right? Like, does anybody even in their 70s or 80s, do you want kids right now? Do you just want to start like right now? Hey, I'm going to have a kid. Deal with all that. Anybody? 60s? Do you want kids right now? See, nobody raised their hands. You're all very sane. Good. Good on you. But that, that's the way the things were here. And so here we are, 100-year-old guy, 90-year-old woman, and, and, and God's like, we're going to do this. And now at this point, having been addressed by God how many times now? Three, four times? This father of the faith, this celebrated prophet, this ancestor of Jesus, he must now have the faith that he will be taken care of, right? He must just be like, anything comes my way, I've got it, because God has promised me so much. Well, here we come to chapter 20, and he goes to a place called Gerar. And as he's approaching Gerar, he again looks at his 90-year-old wife, and again goes, you're really hot. And this king Abimelech, I don't get it, but hey, whatever. This king Abimelech, he might hurt me because of you. And so guess what they do? They do the exact same thing here in Gerar that worked out so well in Egypt. So yet again, says, this is my sister, King goes, hot mama, pulls her into the palace. And God appears to Abimelech and goes, you have another man's wife. I'm going to kill you. And Abimelech goes, whoa, 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 God, I haven't done anything with her yet. I'm happy to give her back. And so he does. He's like, Abraham, 
you're lousy, get lost. And so that's what he does. He gives Abram his wife back, and, and they are basically told to get lost, and, and they, they leave. And we laugh about these things because it seems ridiculous to us. But then I look over my life and my faith. And I start to realize that there have been a lot of times in my life where in my relationship with Jesus and the things that he's told me to do and the promises he's given me in scripture and personally where I've gotten a little wishy-washy too, where I've tried to put things in my own hands. And, and we all do this, right? We'll step on other people to try to get ahead, to be able to save a little bit more, right? To put a little bit more in the bank. I'm not saying that savings is bad, but when we start to get savings, start stepping on people that can't help themselves to make sure that we're nice and comfortable, and if anything bad happens, that we're just good to go, we got to be careful with these things, right? Or in our culture nowadays, you know, you can buy insurance literally for anything. And, and, and so a lot of us, we buy insurance for everything. I'm pretty sure that there's probably an insurance that covers you stubbing your toe and, and uh, I, I don't know what that would actually cover. So I'm going to backtrack on that. You can laugh at me silently in your head and, and we'll move on. But you know, you can, you can just take it all away from God and try to re rely on yourself for all of these things. And what I want to ask you today is, is when you start to struggle in your faith like Abraham did, does it disqualify you from the blessings of God? Does it disqualify you from being used by him? Does it make it so that he can't do through you what he wants to do? Does it make it so that maybe, you know, you're not saved if you are back and forth and, and not sure about trusting Jesus and, and all these things, but you do, but then you mess up and all of this? What I want to share with you today is that he steps into the gaps in your faith. And he picks you up when you fall. And listen, I've had this experience so many times where I've just fallen flat on my face in my faith and God's been like, I'm right here. I got you. And he picks me back up. He strengthens you when you're weak. I can't do it. He says, that's all right because I'm here. I've got this. I'm doing this with you. I'm doing this alongside you. In fact, and Jesus told his followers that amazing things could happen with faith as small as a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed before, but it's really, really, really small. And in fact, Jesus uses this illustration. He says that this mustard seed starts out as one of the smallest of all seeds, but when you plant it and it grows into a tree, it grows into a tree that's capable of, of having birds nest in its branches. It becomes a strong plant. And he says amazing things can happen with just a little trust, just a mustard seed of faith. And that's really, if you forget anything that I've said, I hope you don't forget this, and that is a small amount of faith can be used by Jesus to do big things. A small amount of faith can be used by Jesus to do big things. I'm going to say it a third time just partially to, ignore, uh, to annoy you and partially so you don't forget it. A small amount of faith can be used by Jesus to do big things. And so when, when you feel like God is calling you into something, but you're like, I can't do it. If he has called you into it, a small amount of faith that says, I'm going to take this one step here. We're going to see what Jesus does. 
that small amount of faith can be used by Jesus to do big things. And look at Abraham. We've already established this guy made a lot of mistakes. Some of them that were pretty messed up, right? But he kept on holding on to God. He'd fall down on his face and God would come back and be like, yeah, no, I trust in you. I'm going to take the next step. And he'd take the next step. And then he'd fall on his face again and he'd get back up and he'd take the next step. And, and God didn't say, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to find someone else. But he used him. He used him for great things. And, and you know what we see is that Abraham's faith actually started to get stronger to the point where when we come to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible, we're actually we see Abraham listed among some of the heroes of the faith, which is mind-boggling. But he is, because he kept on going, he kept on trusting, he kept on believing, because he believed that no matter what happened, that God would, in fact, carry out his promises. His obedience and his perseverance was used by God, and through this imperfect man, who was a lot like you and me, God saved the world. Friends, the fact of the matter is it's not what we can do, it's what Jesus can do. That's the truth of the gospel is, is that in this broken, messed up world because of our sinfulness, you know, there's this world where we're stuck, where our wheels just spin, where we can't get good enough to overcome what's coming our way, where we don't feel strong enough or big enough to be able to climb out of the mess, to find hope, to find that peace, to find joy in whatever circumstances may come our way, that Jesus has stepped in and done what we could not do for ourselves. That's the hope of the gospel. You can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did. God came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, and he, he lived a perfect life as fully God and fully man here on earth, and we crucified him for it. And on that cross, he took all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our sinfulness, and he put it on himself, and he bore that to death. But he didn't stay dead, but three days later rose again victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And he says, you couldn't do this for yourself. But here, I've done this for you. Here's my life. Here's my hope. Here's my salvation. Here's my freedom. Here's my wholeness. And he leads us step by step by step into greater things. And when we fall on our faces... We all do. I do. So we fall on our faces, sometimes more than we'd care to admit. He's right there with us saying, I get it. I love you. Come with me. Let me help you through this. A small amount of faith can be used by Jesus to do big things. You might look at our community and you might think there's no way that a little church could make a big impact on a community like Pincher Creek. But with a small amount of faith, Jesus can do the rest. You might think to yourself, there's no way that I can stand in the gap with my family that is so against God, that I can stand strong, that I can see my kids and my grandkids and my loved ones, my parents come to faith in Jesus and see the hope that I have for the future. But with a little bit of faith and some perseverance, Jesus 
can stand in that gap. You might think to yourself that the things I face, that there's no way that I can get through them, but with a little bit of faith and some obedience, Jesus can do big things. Jesus can do big things. So today, if you're wondering how you can take a step on this, here's, here's what I want us all to do today. Ask the Holy Spirit to put on your heart where you need to take a step of faith. Now, him putting things on our hearts, it can take different forms. Maybe you actually suddenly feel just a, a peace about a decision that you were making. Maybe all of a sudden, something that you hadn't thought of before, it, it comes into your mind and you just feel compelled to do it. Maybe, maybe you actually get a word in your head that you can't get out or there's a picture that comes to mind of something. There's a variety of ways that God can speak to us, that he can lead us, that he can give us just a feeling, an emotion, not that we should be led by our emotions, but he gave us emotions for a reason and, and he can lead us into what's next if we ask him as we go forward. Maybe someone comes to you and they say something and all of a sudden it, it's like they're speaking just randomly, directly into your situation that they knew nothing about. Maybe that's your confirmation of what step you need to take in faith. It could be a big one. Maybe God's calling you to start something big. Maybe God's calling you to stop something that just isn't doing it anymore and you're afraid. It can be something small, a conversation, a phone call, making a snack and taking it to a neighbor. I don't know what it is for you. But God does. So I'm going to pray for us today, and I'm just going to pray that you'll take that time and that the Holy Spirit will meet you in that place and, and just begin to show you that next step of faith. So will you join me in praying today? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you don't abandon us, that you don't say, well, yeah, you guys all failed, but that, Lord, you give us example after example of the messiness that led to such great things that we celebrate this Christmas and Easter and all through the year. God, right now, some of us may actually be facing things in our lives that seem too big. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're just not sure that you can actually speak to us or lead us. Lord, will you just begin to give us a peace? And will you help us to diligently come to you seeking what that step of faith is until you show us? until you lead us, Lord God. I pray for each person here that you will give us the small bit of faith that we need. And God, that you will step into the gaps in our faith and do something powerful through each one of us and through this church, Lord God, that we'll see this community come to know you and that through that, people will find freedom and the hope they have been wanting for so long, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Maybe you're listening, and you've been seeking Jesus for a while, trying to make sense of who he is and what he's all about. I want you to know that God, in his infinite love, has been pursuing you. God wants to have a life-giving relationship with you. But the fact is that every person is born with a rebellious heart and is separated from the life that only comes through a true relationship with their creator. So God did something magnificent. 
He knew that we could not repair the broken relationship ourselves, so he came to us. And we're told that while we were still sinners in active rebellion against God, Jesus Christ died for us. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, if you're ready to have that newfound life through a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Master and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As you dedicate your life to following Christ Jesus, you will receive forgiveness for your sins and you will be adopted into the family of God. Let's pray. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, I'm trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my Master and my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and forgiving me. Help me to leave my old ways behind and to live as you would have me live from this time forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer from your heart, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Your next step is to connect with a local church so that you can be shown how to grow in this new relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week for more Bible-based encouragement.